0: Gold gets clipped and SQM plans to keep spending. You listening to Kitko Roundtable. I'm your host, Michael McCrae. And with us is Melissa Mel Sanderson, President of North America at American Rare Earths. Mel, welcome to Kitko.
1: Thanks, Michael. It's good to be here.
0: What is American Rare Earth focused on, Mel?
1: Well, it's not going to surprise you to hear that we are focused on developing rare earth resources. I'm pleased to say that we have an absolutely incredible resource in Wyoming, our flagship project, which we're calling Halleck Creek. And our initial chalk report, covering only 25% of the land mass that we have there in Wyoming, shows that we have 1.465 billion tons of rare earth in the ground. And out of that, we have slightly over 1 million tons of the very precious magnetic metals, all with low uranium-thorium load. So we are happy campers. We have a second project in Arizona called La Paz, and that will be next in line for development. La Paz is a scandium-rich project. So we have our fingers in all sorts of pies in the rare earth domain.
0: Let's turn to macro. Gold tumbled well below $2,000 an ounce this week, falling nearly $50, with Wall Street analysts concerned that the sell-off might not be over. For us, the week is not yet over. We are recording this at noon Eastern time, but gold is looking at its worst week since the start of February. One of gold's biggest downward drivers has been the higher U.S. dollar. The greenback caught a bid on resilient U.S. macro data. Which forced the market to reprice its Fed rate expectations. The CME FedWatch tool now sees a 44% chance of another 25 basis point increase. In June, copper was weaker too on a stronger US dollar. Disappointing Chinese data that showed industrial output and in retail sales grew slower than expected. Last check, copper was at the 370 level, and a barrel of oil is in the 70s. SQM reported net income of just under 750 million, 6% down from the previous quarter. The company also noted that in 2023, it will continue to implement its growth plans and expects to invest close to $1.2 billion in expanding production capacity in Chile, that despite moves to nationalize the lithium sector in the country. SQM is to start talks with Codelco in the coming weeks. Mel, I'd like you to bring you back. Uh, what's a rare earth market look like?
1: You know, it's a market that's incredibly full of promise, and that's not just because of high demand in the U.S., but high global demand. Let me focus for an instant on what I mean when I say high demand in the U.S. I think that almost everyone listening today has seen articles or saw programs on television talking about the, the intense interest from the automotive industry in sourcing reliable areas to get lithium and rare earths from. And that's because they are essential to electric vehicles. But demand for rare earth goes beyond even the electric vehicle market. It includes things like the energy market because wind turbines, solar panels, all of those things require rare earths as well. So most economists, when they're trying to project the demand curve, around about 2025, demand just goes soaring into the sky like a hawk on a thermal. And at the moment, that supply element that underpins that is pretty flat, pretty level, and it's a problem. When in the U.S. we only have currently one producing rare earth mine and demand is set to skyrocket and the U.S. government wants to transform our economy and ensure our national security, it's hard to get there from here unless we're able to really build out a rare earth industry in a hurry.
0: Now, the earth sector took a little bit of a hit when uh, Mr. Musk uh, said that uh, he was going to be able to build some engines without uh, rare earth <laughs> magnets. Um, you, you probably recall the uh, headline from a couple of weeks ago, Mel. Um, is, is there any worry about substitution in uh, the rare earth space?
1: No, absolutely not, for for a couple of reasons. I'll tell you why I say that. The first is that um, if Mr. Musk has developed a technology, for 100% certain, it's going to be a proprietary technology technology. He is not going to be sharing that with his competitors at General Motors or Ford or BMW or Jaguar or any place else. So there's going to be substantial ongoing demand within the automotive industry for rare earths. But the second part of my, my response, and by far the more important one, is what I referred to a moment ago. Demand for rare earth goes well beyond the electric vehicles industry. It touches on the aerospace and defense industry in a very large way. It involves semiconductors. It involves charging stations. It involves all sorts of things, including, by the way, cell phones, because they have little teeny tiny motors in them too. So, you know, um, in no way trying to deny the importance of of Tesla and of um, Mr. Musk and his research, because obviously, New technologies are always welcome in the market. As far as overall demand for rare earth goes, it's not going to crash the market by any means. Uh,
0: talk about uh, the landscape uh, for rare earth uh, companies outside of uh, your own company, Mel. Um, you know what is uh, China's footprint on it right now, and uh, maybe uh, who's meaningful or who's on the radar uh, in um, uh, in Western areas.
1: Well, I mean, there's there's no denying it. I mean, China still has about an 85% lock on the market, and that isn't so much even the production uh, the production side. It's it's very much the fact that they control uh, the processing stream. And the brutal truth is, you can have as many rocks in the ground as you want, but you have to be able to transform them into something. That processing, therefore, is the key linch point in the industry in general, not just for rare earths. I mean. That's true in the copper industry and the gold industry. It's true everywhere. Um, You know, Canada has been making uh, great strides, particularly in the province of Quebec, to bring forward rare earth companies. And uh, both the province of Quebec and the government in Ottawa are providing um, all sorts of not just financial incentives, but um, regulatory incentives as well. And of course, Australia, I mean, you know, if you if you want to talk about a, a major Western rare earth supplier, you have to talk about Linus. And Linus, as you, of course, already know, Michael, is partnering up with the U.S. government to build two processing facilities in the United States, in Texas, one of which will concentrate on heavy rare earths and the other which will focus on light rare earths. And very importantly, The U.S. government is also um, providing financial assistance to MT materials to accelerate uh, the completion of their rare earth processing facility, and that's absolutely key because right now, even though MT is the sole U.S. producer of rare earths, its output goes to China for processing.
0: MT is uh, the old uh, mountain pass. That's been kind of the on-again, off-again mine that's uh, in California, correct, now.
1: Yes, that's, that is they. Now, uh, rare
0: earths can be tricky. There was energy transition metals, which had difficulty in Greenland due to environmental concerns, and then also there's uh, vital metals up in Canada. It uh, recently hit a pause uh, just due to uh, costs. Um, maybe talk about, um, maybe talk about uh, this difficulty with uh, production.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, it, it, there's no denying the fact that current technology on production... Is not environmentally friendly, and that sort of is the the grounding truth for how China came to have such a dominant lock on production, because very frankly, it wasn't welcome in anybody else's country. Um, and it actually, you know, although you didn't mention that, Linus is also having an issue right now in Malaysia, um, where the Malaysian government is is uh, thinking about telling them to close down their processing facility. And uh, Linus is working rapidly to um, finish uh, a new facility in Australia to to have, uh, to maintain its processing integrity in case the Malaysians do ask them to close down. Yeah, they um,
0: recently had the extension to the end of the year before they. Can, they did. Yeah, before they can uh, do that. Uh, sorry, go ahead. Man.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, that's an uh, important clarification because yeah. it gives Linus time to hopefully at least. Advanced their processing facility in Australia to completion, um, but uh, you know there are there are hopeful aspects, and I'm very actually proud to be able to say that American Rare Earths um, is partnering with two programs, one of which is funded through the Department of Defense, and the other of which is funded through the Department of Energy, and those programs are working on alternative processing and separation technology. And it is 100% cleaner and greener because it involves uh, using engineered biologics that would be able to um, bind to selected materials and separate them out from complex solutions. So, um, I mean, obviously if either or both of these research projects come to fruition Number one, it's great for us because we are hopeful that, you know, as we have partnered in the development, we would be selected as a uh, candidate company to build the pilot plant for, for that technology. But even more importantly, that kind of technology would be a game changer for the entire industry. So um, we're, we're proud to be part of that. And I, it's one of those things that makes me optimistic for the future. Has this technology been uh, built out at scale?
0: Not yet. Uh, Let's uh, talk about uh, funding. Um, You know, we've seen a lot of lithium companies, even a few copper companies have announced investments uh, by uh, automakers. There's also been all of the uh, IRA help uh, that's come out. Um, Maybe uh, talk about uh, the support uh, for rare earth uh, from uh, governments and uh, other sources Mel.
1: Yeah, um, we're certainly on the list. I mean, uh, rare earths are embedded in the uh, critical materials list that the US government developed, which interestingly enough does not include copper. Um, Go figure, but copper did not make that cut. Um, So we definitely, um, as an industry, as a rare earth industry, are also of interest to the automotive industry. and you know, there's there's some early stage talk about, you know, could there be JVs? Could there be MOUs? Could there be LOIs? And I think that um, a lot of that, um, the reason that hasn't materialized yet is just because a lot of, particularly in the United States, the rare earth projects are still very early stage. I mean, we ourselves are just beginning to enter now into the development phase. So I think that soon rare earth companies, particularly in the U.S., will start to attract that attention. The IRA has um, indeed been helpful in several regards, including, for instance, the research projects that I just mentioned, the funding that both of those agencies are drawing upon uh, comes from the IRA. But there's also a, a small bottleneck in the sense that U.S. government money cannot be distributed widely without regulations in place that set the parameters for that distribution and the the government is scrambling to get those regulations written as quickly as possible in order not to impede the flow of us government assistance so I think that uh, we're looking towards you know probably next year seeing a lot more uh, support financial support from the US government showing up for companies. Mel, uh, let's just
0: uh, step back. Uh, you've had experience at uh, Freeport and in the Congo. Um, I, I, I've noticed that uh, soft skills have really come to the fore in uh, mining in a big way. Uh, and it just seems to be for the sake of survival for miners. Uh, just uh, They just need to get uh, that community support.
1: Yes, that's 100% true. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for years I've said that the... In, in ESG is is the, the fly in the ointment, so to speak, because, mm-hmm. you know, there are regulations and have been for years that guide companies in environmental work. There are regulations and have been for years that guide companies on issues of governance and how companies should relate to and with governments. But, as to the best of my knowledge, nobody has been able to write a good series of, reg- of uh, guidelines for how you deal with people. And that's the S and ESG. And companies, I think, at least in the past, have often erred on the side of paternalism rather than c- actual cooperation with communities. And that's been changing, it's, it's been changing, particularly over the last decade where companies do recognize the need to consult with the local communities, to understand what the concerns are for the local communities, and to work cooperatively to find ways to address those concerns and to allow both the company and the community to flourish. And it's obviously, anytime you deal with people, it is not a flawless process. Misunderstandings occur not every company is as forward-leaning as others in terms of embracing uh, community cooperation. So, you know, we we have seen some uh, embarrassingly large examples of where community cooperation has clearly failed, and it's a lesson to the industry. We just need to keep working on our people skills and trying to get better at. At being part of communities and to be supportive of communities. Uh, uh, hypothetically,
0: uh, Mel, but uh, say that uh, your company is uh, forming some type of a business arrangement uh, with another company in another region, uh, and you're doing your due diligence. What would be your framework uh, for actually kind of looking that there is a social license uh, for that company? How how you know? How do you assess it, and how do you assess it, um, I don't know, qualitatively, quantitatively, or if you can?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, particularly when you're talking about, in your hypothetical situation, a partnership with a foreign company, the the first uh, and one of the best sources of due diligence information would be the U.S. Embassy in that country. Because um, they have extensive political relationships, extensive economic relationships. And obviously, they are monitoring the local business climate and the local business environment as well as monitoring for things like human rights violations. Um, And therefore, checking with the U.S. Embassy, and of course, hey, former diplomat, naturally I'm I'm pushing the embassy here, but but, um, checking in with the U.S. Embassy is a step that all too often companies overlook because the 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 knee-jerk tendency of companies is to hire a local law firm, for instance, which you also want to do, but do not regard their uh, advice as the primary source. because in many, many countries, you know things like family relationships, things like tribal alliances, things like um, intermarriage, Those can touch on a law firm just as easily as any place else and taint the quality of the information you're receiving. Hmm. So what you always need is a more collective or more independent kind of source. Another good source, the American Chamber of Commerce, if there is one in that country. Because again, they're there representing the United States and the business climate of the United States and American companies operating in that country. So that gives you a place where you as a business can interact with other U.S. businesses already doing business with companies there. And they, if something's wrong, they will have heard about it. They will know. So definitely the U.S. Embassy, the American Chamber of Commerce, and then obviously you know, a a reputable local law firm, ideally recommended by the U.S. Embassy, Um, those are your three best sources for immediate due diligence.
0: If you're talking uh, to Junior X or Junior Y, uh, which uh, might be in um, a location that's uh, off the track, uh, often they will say, um, you know, don't pay attention to the country, rather uh, pay attention to the community around this, and uh, we have uh, community support here. Um, Is it fair to put that type of waiting uh, for assessment of uh, having a support or how important can be the uh, country governments?
1: You absolutely have got to keep an eye on what's going on in the Capitol. You don't escape just because you're you're living in the sticks. (laughs) Um, Political influence is much more pervasive around the world than it is in the United States. So, for instance, if a... A bureaucrat in the Ministry of Mines in the capital city decides that they don't like your project and they don't like you they feel that you have been disrespectful to them or you feel they feel whatever about you you would be surprised Michael at how easy it is for that individual bureaucrat sitting in the capital city to reach out to that local community whether it's through a local politician or whether it's through family connections in that community and stir up all kinds of trouble for you. There is no such thing as living in just a little community bubble. You have absolutely got to keep your eye on the larger circumstances and build your connections and your relationships to the capital city as well as the local community because that's why the stakeholder map is always so complex. It starts out with that nucleus and the nucleus is the company and the local community and the immediate environs. But your stakeholder map, and I don't care if you're a junior company or a major company, you still need to work your stakeholder map and that expands outward in concentric circles and touches the federal government at one of those circles. So yes, even if you're a junior company, pay attention.
0: Lastly, on this uh, segment, Mel, uh, uh, maybe you can call out a mention of a uh, company that uh, you think that uh, paired poorly on this and uh, was um, was uh, uh, didn't 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 work out well for the company uh, managing their uh, S and ESG.
1: My is at the list endless and goes far back (laughs) in time, Um, but for for a a a relevant immediate example. Um, and just to show that it's not just juniors who can can mess this up, um, I would point towards Rio in Serbia. Hmm. Um, very important lithium resource there that the global economy is very interested in developing. Rio obviously has the experience, the money, the distribution network, et cetera. All of those are positives. Um, and they they absolutely were blindsided by the upsurge of popular sentiment against them. They were caught flat-footed, you know, being seen as sort of, you know, richy-rich foreign aggressors who want to come in and rape the country's lithium and then leave. Um, and I don't think that they they realized that the government would actually take those sentiments seriously. So it, fundamentally, there were two failures. There was the failure on the community level, and then there was the failure on the government level. So, you know, it's tough for everybody, even for one of the biggest companies on the planet. It's tough.
0: Let's turn to our number of the week. Guess goes first. Mel, have you got a number?
1: I do. 60 60 is the number of neodymium on the chemical chart. And neodymium is one of the most essential magnet metals in the rare earth space.
0: A number of the week is a thirty-eight percent. This is a surprise, but uh, zinc is down thirty-eight uh, percent since this time last year. Refined zinc prices are expected to be on a downward trend until mid-decade as weak demand growth has failed to match a surge in production. Mel, what milestones at American Rare Earth over the next twelve months?
1: We are working towards uh, completing our comprehensive environmental studies at Hallite Creek, and that includes hydrology. So we are preparing ourselves to enter the permitting process with the objective of being able to come out with our, definitely out with our preliminary economic assessment, no later than the first quarter of next year, and then pressing onwards ever greater to our preliminary feasibility study. So getting ready to put a pick in the ground, so to speak, and find those rocks. Follow me at Michael McCray. Mel, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, you can find me at LinkedIn, or you can drop me an email at msanderson at au.
0: If you like what you hear, tell a friend. Don't forget to subscribe. On behalf of Mel Sanderson and myself, have a pleasant weekend. Thanks, guys. Much appreciated.